Pray for us now and, and, and I'll ask the Lord to bless our offering of service and worship today. So let's pray uh, to the Lord. Father, we're grateful today as we pause and we, in this worship service and we come into your presence, Father, with our prayers. Father, we do so this morning with, with, with hearts full of, of thankfulness for all that you've done, all that you're doing among us, Father. And, uh, Father, even all that you're going to do, as your word, your word concerns uh, the, uh, the future events of, of even our church. God, as we pause and we, we thank you for the ongoing ministry of First Baptist, Father, we're thankful for the individuals that comprise this body. I thank you for the leadership of this church. And, Father, as we continue to be faithful to you, I just pray that, that all that we say and do, uh, every ministry, every person, every deed, uh, Father, every, every task that we set our, our minds to, Father, I, we pray that it's glorifying to your kingdom. Father, I thank, thank you this morning for this time together with our brothers and sisters. For those that are not among us this morning, for traveling, for whatever, Father, I pray that you just watch over them and bring them back to us safely, God. I thank you for their, their faithfulness to your church and, and, and to the ongoing um, ministries thereof. Uh, Father, for the, uh, for the church of, 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 the, of, of, of the Jesus Christ globally, Father, I thank you for the ministry that you've given to us as Christians. As we join our brothers and sisters in worship on this day, Father, I pray that our gift of worship to you is pleasing in your sight. Uh, Father, may all that we say in this worship service, whether it be song or gift or offering or through the preaching of your word, Father, may it seek to glorify you. May it bless your name. And, Father, may our hearts be drawn closer to you through this worship service. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Brother Ben and I did not have a chance to talk for the service, and I was going to share with him and to share with you the congregation. Many of you are aware that former pastor of this church, Dr. W. Fred Kendall, yes. passed, away, uh, passed away in Nashville this past week. Dr. Kendall was... Uh, the longest tenured full-time pastor in the history of this church. He came in 1967 um, and left in 1983. He came from First Baptist Church of Bolivar, Tennessee, which was my home church where I grew up. And I always remember that First Baptist Union City stole our pastor when I was a kid. And I used to play with Rick as a, as a child. And Dr. Kendall performed our wedding ceremony uh, when I married in 1979. And his fingerprints are on the heart of this church all over, all throughout the building, including leading the church to build this present sanctuary. And Fred helped design the stained glass windows that are in this church. And so as you look at those, you're, uh, a great memory and legacy of his leadership, not only in this church, but in the town and the community. And I know you'll pray for Yvonne and his son, Rick Kendall and Scott Kendall and their family. During this time, they'll have a private family uh, burial service, but continue to pray for them. As we worship, let's sing together, You Are My All in All. It's hymn 143.
You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up I be. This next song, though, is set up well by Psalm 145. Uh, I want to read to you the verse, verses 3 through 9 as a way of just kind of, um, just kind of celebrating the, the goodness of God, the love of God, the, the majesty of God, and, and all that God does in our lives. Obviously, you can't read it with me, but I want to read this uh, together um, as we give God's word to preeminence among us today. Psalm 145, verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are all over his works. Even our song today, even as we join together in worship, all of it is designed to testify to those words to the glory of God, to the splendor of God, to the mercies of God, to the goodness of God. It all is declared according to His goodness. And so as we sing together this next song, as we set it up with the Word of God being read in the house of God this morning. Let's stand together. This is a new song. Join us as we sing. Tammy's going to sing the verses, and I'll ask you to sing on the chorus with us. Jesus. 
Sing with us. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. darkest nights you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God all my life and all
Brother Norman's going to come and lead us in our prayer. Father, I stand here hearing the noise of planes flying over Israel. I hear the explosion of bombs the firing of guns. I hear babies crying. I hear young people screaming. I hear parrots moaning. I smell smoke. And I stand here and I hear music. And I hear God's word proclaimed. And I hear the sweetest of songs. And I see men and women Swaying with music that praises you. Perhaps we, Lord, are the chosen people. And we stand here at this moment when the offering is received, thankful. Amen. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Second John this morning. If you have any hard time finding 2 John, it's right after 1 John and right before 3 John. How about that? I'm going to give you a little bit of help this morning uh, as we find 2 John. 2 John is, is, is one chapter. It's 13 verses. Um, and when, just for context, when John wrote this letter, it didn't have chapters or verses. None of the Bible did. It was broken up that way many years ago for us to be able to, to find things easier in the Word. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to continue. Now, we have graciously um, and faithfully closed 1 John. Um, I, I, got a, I got great feedback from 1 John and, and how just how many of you uh, appreciated the words of John and, and, and gleaned a lot of fruit from that book. And so, as I mentioned last week, it just seemed right to me to continue to, to, to work through um, the epistles of John, mainly because the, both all three books have much of the same content uh, as it for, pertains to the foundation of the books. And so the, 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 the second, third John, are gonna, they're going to flow much like the first John did. The difference being is that there is some specific things or teachings that John addresses in both the second and third John that I'd like to, to kind of focus on today. Um, the title of the sermon as we continue the series, uh, How Do I Know I'm Saved?, the title of today's sermon is called Ever Onward, and the, and the point to John's second epistle is to persevere, to continue in the faith, and, uh, and to move ever onward into, uh, into greater heights and, and, and realms of faithfulness. And so let's stand and let's read John's second letter to an elect lady. First, verse 1 of 2 John says this, The elder... To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. 
I greatly rejoice that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this, command, this, and this is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses, transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come into your presence now with our prayers, Father, in the setting of your word, uh, Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for John's faithfulness in writing this letter to this elect lady, Father, for her faithfulness and for her continued faithfulness in her life. Father, may this book this morning serve to remind us that our lives of faithfulness are to be ever progressing onward, that there should be a movement of faithfulness in our lives until you either call us home or you return again. And Father, bless the reading of your word now as we now read it in the assembling of your saints. Father, may it glorify your name, and we pray this in Christ's name. And amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, as we read that, I'm sure you probably, you probably recognize some of the many themes that were found in 1 John, specifically things like we should love one another, uh, that we should walk in the commands of Christ. I mean, these are not new teachings from John. Now, John, as was the same with Paul, they wrote these letters to specific people, and they uh, would oftentimes include many of the same teachings in their, in their letters. Paul did that with Romans. He did that with Corinthians. Uh, a lot of the same teachings that Paul had to speak to, he, he did them somewhat redundantly to, because he was writing to different groups. John's epistles are no different. John has the, the same undertones that, that, um, uh, that, that, we, that we recognize from 1 John. This letter, however, takes the tone of commendation. Uh, specifically to a woman who was found to be of, of, of utmost encouragement to John as she walked faithfully in the Lord. Now, his commendation, as we're going to kind of we're gonna look at this book, uh, kind of narrows in on one specific verse, and that's verse 8. Verse 8 is the zenith of the book. So as Paul's writing this letter, and you can kind of imagine it as a crescendo and a day crescendo, it's, it's, it's verse 8 when, when this book reaches its fullness, or John's main point to writing to this woman. 
Um, she, she, she wanted, or John rather, wanted to commend her. He wanted to, to, to just jump right in and, and, and speak to the issues that were on his heart. And so as a book of commendation, this begins in, in, three, different, in three different commendable ways as John identifies them. The first one is that John says it's commendable to persevere in the truth. And that's his opening statements to this woman, to the elect lady and her, tr- and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also those who have known from the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will always be with us forever. So he's, he's speaking to her perseverance in the faith. It's commendable for Christians or for believers to persevere in the truth, specifically as John's Says it. Now, why is it commendable to persevere in the truth? What makes persevering in the truth so praiseworthy? Well, persevering in the truth means more than just simply knowing God's word. Persevering in the truth means holding fast to its truthfulness in a world that assaults it, that disparages it, that changes it, and that really ultimately just hates it. As we entertain the world around us, as we live our lives, as we, as we go to work and as we go to different places in the world, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves in the company of individuals who, who disagree with us fundamentally on what the truth is. And so as Christians, we have to persevere through those times when we are, when we are encouraged to, to buy into the lies concerning it. Uh, this means that we don't believe or we are, we're not quick to, to assume that the lies about the Word of God are true. It means believing, or it means rather not believing, the voices even, sometimes from the pulpit, that would preach things contrary to the doctrines of Christ. Uh, unfortunately, in our world today, there is no shortage of men who are willing to fill pulpits and, and voice things that are contrary to the truth. It happens. And so as Christians, we are called to counterbalance that by persevering in the truth. Persevering in the word means that we hide it in our hearts so that we might not believe anything else to the contrary. And the world itself is filled with philosophies. The world itself is filled with all kinds of of alter, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, of uh, uh, alternatives uh, to the truth. I mean, matter of fact, if you go out in the world today and you say, what is truth? You're going to get a thousand different answers. Okay, I mean, even, even Pilate expressed that at the crucifixion or the trial of, of Jesus. And Jesus saying, my word is truth. Pilate, what is, what is truth? I mean, we, we, have, we have lots. I mean, John, even, as have we, have we pointed out before, John even, even pushing back against the thing we talked about before of docetism. Of the people that just flat out, flat out denied that Jesus even came at all, that he was even real. He's still pushing back against that in his book. Here. And so persevering in the word means being a doer of it rather than just being a hearer of it. It, it means that persevering in the truth, uh, it, that, that when it gets tough, when things get hard, when things get difficult, that we don't abandon its hope and its, and its, and its strength in our lives. And I think oftentimes this is the, the, where the rubber meets the road practically as, as, being, as persevering in the word. That, that when things get hard and when the heat gets turned up and, 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 uh, and uh, objection becomes louder to what we believe, that we want to d- d- find common ground or, or give a little or abandon it altogether. This is especially true personally. 
when we are faced with things in our lives that would, 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 would get at the heart of us. And, and we know on the one hand what God's word says, and then on the other hand, we know what we're facing, and then the two are screaming for allegiance. And sometimes we are willing to doubt or willing to, to side with our emotions or our, or our, 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 our experiences rather than the truth. Persevering in the word means that though all else forsake it, we cling to it with tight-gripped conviction. It means that we don't give it lip service on Sunday and then forsake its teaching in our marriages, in our homes, in our jobs, and even in our communities. It means that we, that we do what it says, that we, that we become one with it. Because, to be honest, Christians can have a tendency to love the word and truth, but fail to rise to the occasion when perseverance calls for it. This is oftentimes, again, this is oftentimes true when, when sin either comes home and, and, and lives among our family members or, or we have friends that are declaring our allegiance contrary to what we know is true. When, when we have these practical things that work out in our lives, Christians, especially in a modern world, have a tendency to side with things that are alternatives rather than the truth itself. Now, John beautifully captures the truth of perseverance in verse 2 when he says, because that which abides in us and will be with us forever. See, perseverance is what people do in times of intense difficulty, uh, especially when we feel like giving up, when we feel like, like giving in, when we feel like, when we feel like uh, giving over to despair. Perseverance is that part that comes in and pushes us onward. As to the point of John's, uh, John's uh, teaching here is that the word of God, the truth, abides in us and it will be with us forever. Perseverance is what we do when we know what's right and refuse to compromise. It's what we do when we know we can give up, but we know that, we're, that our fatigue, anyway, should not win the battle. It's what we do when all, everyone else is telling us to give up, and, and instead we remain faithful to Christ. This lady had literally elicited a letter from John the Apostle for her perseverance. And perseverance is only called for in certain seasons of our lives. It occurs in short spans, and, and it's akin to those times when, if, 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 you know, I used to be a runner. I used to jog. I, I used to try anyway. I used to try to get out there and move my body down the road in a, in a, in a linear pattern, and, and I'd get out there, and I would run. And, and there'd, there'd, become, there'd come times when you would hit a wall, and, and you'd have to persevere through that. Right? You'd have to set a pace and you'd have to, you'd have to get about a, a certain cadence and you get it in your mind and say, you know what, I can, I can push through it. It's only if I can get through it for a short time, then I can, I can go for another mile or so. And then you would do it. I, I remember those days well. I remember you know, running and I remember thinking I'm about to die. And, and I, I remember telling myself, if I can just go, just, to, just, just push through this, push through it, push through it. If you die, you're going to heaven. But if you persevere through this, you're going to lose more weight and you're going to be more healthy and you're going to do all of those kinds of things. And then you persevere. And then once you did, you feel, you, you, you feel better. You catch your breath again. You, you get your strength about you again and all those kinds of things. Because perseverance is not the marathon itself. It's just what you do in those short spans of time when you feel like giving up, but you must push through and keep going. That is commendable in the Christian life. 
John commended this woman for that. It's also commendable, as he says to us here, to walk in the truth. Verse 4, I greatly rejoice that I found some of your children walking in the truth. Verse 6, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It's commendable to walk in the truth. And as I say those words, in some, in some sense, they sound somewhat cliche. But if persevering in the truth means pushing through those tough times for short time frames, walking in the truth is the entirety of one's life of faith. It's this daily, intentional, inspirational journey with Christ. Walking in the faith for the runner is the entire race. It has a beginning and it has a finish line. And this walk that we endure through this life that we call the faith is commendable. Because walking in the faith involves knowing the truth, as John says here. It it means knowing how to apply the truth and, and when to apply the truth even. Because sometimes the walk, it may slow down. Sometimes it may speed up. Sometimes it it may be enjoyable. Sometimes it may be a burden. But the Christian life involves walking. It means walking with God. It means walking with fellow brothers and sisters. And it involves keeping one's eyes fixed on the finish line. That's the point to the walk. That we keep our eyes fixed on Christ. That we keep it fixed on glory. That we keep it fixed on heaven. Because as we do that, all of the other things and distractions and discouragements begin to pale in comparison. There's even a hymn about that, I think, Brother Richard. That the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's the beauty of the walk. The Christian walk that we keep our eyes fixed on on the finish line, that we keep our eyes on the road in front of us. I remember jogging, and I remember having to make sure that that when my big body was trying to just labor down the road, that I didn't step in something that made it harder, like a hole or a stick or or whatever, or a dog that would come out and run at me and try to bite my feet. That happened all the time. Little dogs think they're big dogs, and they run at you, and they snap at your heels and and they can trip you i've done that before and i fell and it wasn't fun and i didn't like that dog anymore but i watched for him every time i went around that track every time i watched i watched for that dog but 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 walking the christian life the 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 walk of faith involves keeping our eyes on the road in front of us. It really, honestly, to be the, the challenging part of the Christian walk is really keeping our eyes from being diverted from the road to the things that are around us. You know, I, I remember specifically enjoying running in the fall uh, because the coo- temperatures were cooler and, and the, the, the surroundings were much more pretty to look at. The spring was the same way because the flowers were blooming and things like that. But I remember the fall was my favorite time to run. Because the colors, the trees were changing, the leaves were falling, and all of those kinds of things. Well, the, the same, it, it, the same is true many times in the Christian life. That, that, we, that we, if we don't pay attention to the walk, if we don't pay attention to the path that God laid out in front of us, then we'll get distracted by all the things around us that are enticing, that are pretty, that are alluring. And they'll divert our eyes away from things, and then we'll fall in the ditch. It happens. 
Because the Christian life involves those kinds of distractions. It, 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 it involves things that would divert our, our eyes away from the initiative. And that is Christ. Christian walk, as John says here, is about walking in accordance to his commandments. That's about pace. Uh, when, I, when I would jog, I would try to establish a certain pace. And that way, if I knew I could get into that groove, then, then their body would just take over and then you just naturally run. And you wouldn't have to worry about killing yourself or dying. you just get in a pace. It would be just this constant, this constant cadence of, of walking with God. And I think that speaks to our, our, our rising up and, and, our, and our lying down. It speaks to the devotional. It speaks to the scripture reading. It speaks to the prayer life. It speaks to all of those things that give us confidence in our walk. Because without those things present, then we begin to wear out. We begin to climb mountains that we want to die on, but yet being unwise and knowing which ones are worth dying on. It means that Christians have to condition themselves, their minds, their bodies, with the right amount of zeal, and so that they don't wear out before they even begin to begin with. I see this oftentimes in the Christian life. We get, we get burning with desire and, and emotion and passion and zeal and all of these different things, and then we want to go headlong into things without pacing ourselves. Because if we, when we do that, we wear out. We burn out. We, 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 we exhaust ourselves before the real work ever even begins. Walking the Christian life, as John says here, is commendable because, to be honest, many just abandon it. They abandon the Christian life for many worldly alternatives. They get deceived into thinking that the walk isn't worth the trouble. They get deceived into thinking that the world is their home. And so they get comfortable with the things that it offers when in fact God says, walk with me. Keep my commandments. This woman, John, greatly rejoiced that she had found some of the children, that he had found some of her children walking in the truth. They were loving one another. They were walking according to the commandments of Christ. And that was commendable. I think sometimes in our Christian circles, we ought to stop and pause and be intentional about commending those in the faith that are walking faithfully. Then thirdly, Christian life, as John says here, rather second point, rather than John's thing, is that the Christian life requires progress. And this is the, be- this is the beginning of his, the thesis, the main point of his teaching, that the Christian life means to be ever onward, to be ever moving, to be ever to, to progressing from, from, from new heights of righteousness to the next. And that progress, if you will, is what involves motion. And that's Paul's, or rather, John's first point here is that progress in the faith involves moving forward. He says, I don't write to you a new commandment. I give to you the same one that I've already given to others is that you walk in love. Love God, love one another. Okay, great. We know that. What do we do with it? Well, you move forward in that teaching. You move forward in the grace of God, in the walk with Christ, We move forward 
with this motion that says, I'm moving onward, I'm moving forward. It's, it's, it's about movement. I, oftentimes in the Christian life, it becomes so passive. I, I think sometimes even in our ecclesiology, the Christian life can just be, okay, I'm saved, I'm a part of a church, now what? And, and there's no movement of faith. There's no, there's no progress, there's no, there's no motion at all. It becomes passive participation rather than active involvement. And as the adage goes, we should probably never confuse movement with progress, but there is something to say that the Christian life has only one direction, and that's forward. Christian faith, Christian churches, Christian people have a tendency to constantly look back instead of forward. This is not what John would have us to do. This, was not, this is not the Christian faith. This is not the Christian walk. If we're walking backwards, we're going the wrong direction. Uh, I mean, if, if we're constantly yearning for what used to be rather than what will be, we're looking in the wrong direction. You know, and I know it's praiseworthy, as, we, as Brother Richard even mentioned, the, Dr. Kendall. It's praiseworthy to look back on the fond memories and the faithfulness of the generations that preceded us. But that's, they're not our goal. They're, they're the encouragement. They're the inspiration. The future in Christ is what the goal is. Okay? Because, because we, if, we're, if we're constantly looking into the past, then we're not moving forward. And it is a privilege to stand in this pulpit in the, sh- in the shadow of such a giant like Dr. Kendall and many others who preceded me in the faith. But he was just doing what any other person would do, and that was looking forward. What is First Baptist? In the grace of God, what is the desire of God for this church? And that's the proper perspective. Because so many look back on what used to be, and they don't need to be doing that. In other words, and, and, and another way, in another sense, rather, people are constantly looking around. They're, they're, they're not, maybe not looking back, but they're constantly looking around and finding themselves dissatisfied or, or, or uncertain or filled with doubt about what the future holds. That's still not forward motion. Forward is the only acceptable direction to God. Even Christian principles of sanctification and justification and glorification, they all speak to future things, not things that were in the past. Certainly not necessarily things in the present, but things in the future. What is God doing with me now? What is God doing with this church now that would lend it to the future grace of God? That's the the beauty of the Christian walk, that we're actually making it somewhere. Now, if I can, again, compare it to something, I think about when I jog. I hated treadmills. Anybody else jog, treadmill? Anybody else just just hate treadmills? I mean, they're they're just, first of all, the optics of it look funny. It's like you're running and you're running, you're five miles into the thing and you've gone nowhere. It just, it just doesn't make sense. I, I always enjoyed the roads. I always enjoyed beating the pavement because I could go out there and run to a certain place and then run back and knew I went somewhere. 
And treadmills never gave me that satisfaction. Sure, you can still yield somewhat the same results from, from, from running on a treadmill, but you miss out on the view. You miss out on the journey. You miss out on the experience of actually going somewhere. I think so many in the Christian life today experience Christianity as if they were on a treadmill versus they were on the actual road. They're, they're running and they're doing, and they're, they're, but they're not going anywhere. The Christian life requires that forward motion because forward is where the promises of God reside. Forward is where the hope of tomorrow resides. And forward is where we find our faith growing stronger day by day. Progress in the faith also, though, involves hard work. And this is where the perseverance comes back in. Progress, if we're going to move forward, we must understand that that means hard work now. The Christian life has, was never promised to be easy. No one ever said in the Christian life that the road would be simple. In fact, the Lord told us that the way forward would be covered with trials and with tribulations. First and foremost, trials with ourselves. Amen? Because growth, true personal growth, requires hard work. You have to crucify the flesh in order to grow in righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I'm not the greatest at telling myself no. Amen? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. None of us are really just good about telling ourselves no. Well, crucifying the flesh involves telling yourself no. Because if God says no to you, then you should say no to you. And so in the Christian life, personally, it's hard. It's hard growing. It's hard telling ourselves no. It's hard mortifying the flesh. Because that's what personal growth involves. We have trials from those outside the faith. We have many who say that Christianity is little more than a fairy tale. That it's just something that the people who are afraid of the dark believe in. Things like that. We also have trials from those even inside the faith. As is true for any body of believers, there's going to come times when there's going to be hardship and strife even within the family of God. But because forward progress is hard work, the struggle is worth the time. For nothing that ever was worth having ever came easy. We learn lessons through hard work that we wouldn't likely learn otherwise. And I think this is true for just our culture in general that just shuns on hard work anymore. I, I, I grew up knowing what hard work was. Um, I hauled hay all the time. For those of you that hauled hay, that's hard work. I grew up manual labor. I grew up learning how to work all the time. And, and I know that hard work isn't the end all to be all, but because the Christian life requires hard work, many just aren't interested they're not interested in physically working hard, so they're certainly not interested in spiritually working hard. But because hard work has become forsaken by so many in our world today, it's no surprise when many become disenchanted with the faith in Christ when things get hard. There's just no other way around it, though. Christian life is hard work. 
Crucifying the flesh, it's hard work. It's hard work partnering with the Holy Spirit and being conformed to the image of Christ. It's hard work challenging ourselves. But if we are willing to, this is John's point, if we are willing to move forward in the faith, we are willing to work hard, then we have to understand that progress in the faith also involves reward. And this is John's third point. And this is where the rubber meets the road in John's instruction. Look to yourselves, verse 8, that we do not lose things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. That is the, the main verse of John's teaching. Okay, because here's what happens in the faith. Oftentimes, because we're not moving forward, because we're not investing the hard work, we're moving backwards. That's what John's saying here. Look, look, to, look to yourselves that you do not lose the things that you've worked for. I mean, my goodness, how many, how many things in life have we lost because we failed to move forward, failed to work hard? John says if you continue to work, though, if you continue to move, there is a reward of the faith, some of, the which, some of which, rather, are appealing to me because they're virtues that I've learned in the struggles of the Christian faith, the first one of which is patience. Patience is a fruit of both progress and hard work. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. Patience is a virtue that many lack today because they're either not moving forward or they're not working hard in the faith. That's the simple point. He goes on to say in that same thing that there's wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. Wisdom is another virtue that comes from movement and from hard work. You're only wise because of those two things. Because you've been there, because you've done that, because you've experienced it, because you've seen it, and because you've patiently endured and persevered. There's a reward. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says there's another one called self-control. That if we are working hard in the faith and that we're moving forward with Christ, then we have this, this virtue that's bestowed upon us called self-control. That goes back to being able to tell ourselves no. When we work hard in these Christian virtues, these are the fruits of that progress. But because they're only achieved in the Christian life through much hard work and forward motion, this is why they're they're so lacking in our world today. Because many abandon the walk before they experience the rewards of their faith. And what a travesty. That they're willing to get on the road. They're willing to, to say, you know what, I, I'm ready to go. It's like, it's like saying, okay, I'm ready to lose weight today. After you've eaten out and after you've eaten pizza and after you've eaten all these things, and say, well, okay, I'll start tomorrow. And then you get up tomorrow and you start with donuts and you start with all these other things. And you say, oh, okay, tomorrow. We all know that cycle well, don't we? In the Christian life, we, we miss out on all the rewards and the blessings of the faith because we're not willing to just get on the road and start walking. To walk in the commands of God. Because God has promised that if we partner with Him in faith, that He is faithful to reward those whom He loves. 
Now, I'll be honest, and I'm just going to be transparent with this. Sometimes that lesson is learned through the chastening of the Lord. Revelation 4 says, those whom I love, I chasten, I rebuke, I punish. Sometimes, look, I've learned some lessons in life. Some of, the, some, of the, some of the lessons that I've learned in life only came through the chastening of God. Because of my stubbornness, because of my bullheadedness, because of my pride and arrogance, only God could teach me through his chastening. But I was on the road and I was willing to walk and I was willing to put in a hard work. Of, of, of humility and, and swallowing that pride. And God blessed me with certain virtues, certain rewards. Sometimes the rewards for faithfulness just come through God's providence. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. You simply just have to ask for it. Job simply had to a- ask for it. Not Job, Solomon. Mercy. That's a, that's the, see, a little sneak peek into a preacher's brain. That's what happens when my mind is already on the next thing and my mouth hasn't said the last thing. <laughs> oh. Sometimes, though, God just gives because he's gracious and he loves. He provides his rewards because he loves us. Sometimes the rewards come through God's instruction, and that's John's point today. God, God rewards. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If they're walking with him, if they're working hard with him, then he rewards those whom he loves. And then lastly, John's point is nothing new that we haven't really heard. There is a, there is a certain specific thing that I want to draw out of it, but it really comes down to this, this last part of, of, of individuals who come, deceivers, he calls them, who would try to destroy that progress in our lives, destroy that progress in our lives. To John's last point, he says deceivers will want to destroy that progress. Those who would bring a different doctrine, he says, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, this doctrine of Christ, this doctrine of love God, this doctrine of love others. If anyone brings anything else to the table, John says, refuse them. Do not receive them. Rather, they should be refused. It's a, it's a word of warning, if you will. It's not a new word. John's already specifically said this in his first epistle. There is something new here, though, that's specific for John, in that, that he tells us, that those who teach a different doctrine should not even be welcome in the people of God. Now, I know we don't like to necessarily think of it that way, right? We, we, like, we like to think that church is a place for everyone, and it is. We like to think in ways that says, well, the, the worship, that all people are welcome in God's house among God's people, and they are. However... If someone comes in and wants to teach something that's contrary to God's word, they are not welcome. They are not to be invited. They are not to be included. They are not to be received. In fact, in verse 10, he says, don't even receive them into your house, nor greet them. 
Now, the point to this is that oftentimes in the early church, they met in people's houses. That's the point to that. The church was not something like we're sitting in today, the building, the institution, the structure. They didn't have those things. So they met in people's homes. And they, they would have different people come and they would have different people teach. And they would have pastors over those little congregations of home churches. But John's point here is that there are people who will pray on the faithful. And because most Christian people are just good, God-loving, they're, they're just peaceful, they're, they're usually just too kind to everybody, and they're non-confrontational, and because they're just good folks, there are people out there who know how to pray on that. They're out there. They still are, by the way. They still, there's still people out there that will take your goodness and your benevolence and your kindness and your love and your mercy and your grace, and they'll pray on it. They'll take it and twist it and use it for themselves. John says, don't welcome them. Don't let them have an audience because they will tell you things that you will be tempted to believe. If you give them a listening ear, John says, they will fill your mind with the most dangerous heresies. John says, no. Do not receive them into your house, nor greet them. Don't follow them on social media. John, we're alive today in 2023. That's what he'd say. Don't follow them on Instagram. Don't follow them on X. Hashtag Twitter. Facebook. Whatever else. YouTube. Don't follow them. Don't watch their videos. Don't even smile and wave at them when you're walking through Walmart. Don't give them any time of day. Because they're not welcome. Additionally, he says, verse 11, For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. To John, it goes a step further that those who greet these people are just as bad as they are because they share in their work. If a false teacher can't find a congregation to preach in, guess what that makes him? Unemployed. Amen? If, amen? If a false teacher can't find their way into a congregation somewhere, then they don't have a job. If a false teacher knows that they're not welcome, then they're not welcome in town. If a false teacher doesn't see you smiling when, they, when, they're, when they're coming your way, then they know they can't have an audience. Thus, they can't have any influence. Now, again, in John's day, it was much more personal. These people were in your house. They were eating your food. They were sitting down and they were smiling at you through their forked tongue. And they were deceiving people. John says, no, no, no. Don't even welcome them. Because he says, if we fail in this regard, then we're just as bad as they are. We're giving them a place to speak their heresy. We're giving them the foothold that they eventually seek to preach to thousands of people. If we fail in this regard, John says, then we establish a place in our communities in which they can peddle their poison to both our friends and our neighbors. Union City is no different. There's, there's people in, in this town that preach a doctrine that's, a, that's, that's, that's not according to, the, to, to Christ. They are preaching a gospel that is foreign, that is, that is nothing more than strange fire. And they're speaking it, preaching it, 
whatever, every Sunday morning to your friends and neighbors. It's no different. We're no different than John's audience of 2 John. We must be vigilant then. John says, don't even bother. Resist them, oppose them, and, and take no prisoners. The kingdom, he says, cannot afford that. We have work to do. It involves moving forward, as the, the title, ever onward. We're moving on. But if we're grasping for those things that used to be, and we're listening to the deceptions of people who want us to be uh, persuaded according or against Christ, then we're in trouble. Now, John finishes this letter with a salutation, and he says, look, I'm going to come to you, and I'm I'm going to spend some time with you. And additionally, as history would have it, John writes a third letter. We're going to look at that letter next week. John doubles down on some of his teachings that, that we gleaned from this week and John, or rather third John, and some of the things that we're going to share. But this morning, as this sermon comes to a close, these are, these are again stark reminders from our brother John about the teachings of Christ, about the body of Christ and how he loves it. We should share in these teachings. We should apply them personally. We should apply them corporately so that we can love God well and that we can love others just as well. Let's pray this morning as we close. Father, I thank you this morning for this word. And Father, as, as this word now comes to a close, and, and, uh, and Father, we, we, we are be obedient to it. We become doers of it rather than just hearers. And Father, we've heard a lot from our brother John this morning and, and just a short amount of verses. Father, but we know that he was in love with his church, and Father, he was in love with you. And so, Father, may we be encouraged this morning by his, by his second letter to, to be commended in our walk of faith, to be commended in our perseverance, Father, in the truth that we bear. And Father, may we hold to it fastly. May we be moving onward in the hard work and the perseverance of the faith, Father, always growing in our knowledge of you, more conformed every day to your image. And Father, may we be ever faithful to one another and to our church until you call us home or you return. Father, thank you for this word this morning as it comes to a close. Father, may it do so in your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Father, Son, and Holy